Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... So I really wanted to demystify what it meant because I think people were like, oh, we need to do better, we need to be more sustainable or regenerative, but weren't actually sure how to make that first step. Yes. So I really created the Sustainability Collective just to have resources and tools to help get there. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 383 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Charlotte Connell. Surfer, mother, and lousy but enthusiastic shower singer, Charlotte is an award-winning sustainability leader. As ecosystem director for Australia's leading climate tech network, Climate Salad, Charlotte helps climate tech founders globally scale through community, connection, and collaboration. Charlotte founded the Sustainability Collective to democratize sustainability so that all businesses can create sustainable, positive change for people, planet, and a prosperous future. Working with innovative businesses to ensure they're not just solving customer problems, but also creating solutions for people and planet. She's also Fishburner's expert in residence for sustainability, and recently developed the Founder Institute's first global sustainability accelerator program. She's also a mentor for the not-for-profit climate-focused accelerator, SUBAC. An advocate for social change, Charlotte volunteers her time as a director on the board of international charity OneWave, which raises awareness for mental health issues through surfing, saltwater therapy and community, as well as combining her passions for climate and surfing as a board member of Surfers for Climate. So on today's podcast, we're going to discuss a couple of major things, and that is Charlotte's perspectives on the state of climate tech in Australia. And we'll get her insights and perspective on opportunities for ventures that tackle social and environmental issues. So Charlotte, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Tom. It's great to be here too. And it's always a little embarrassing when you read out that bio, but I do put in lousy singer in there because I feel like a lot of corporate bios are just too stuffy and you need to know the person a bit, just that I'd throw that in there. If you want to give us a demonstration of your singing, we'd be happy to include that too. And we'll be (laughs) the judge of whether it's lousy or not. No, your listeners will tune out straight away. I've been told frequently that I am totally tone deaf, that I can't hear that, so I think I'm fabulous. So it's all good. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Charlotte, apart from the amazing shower singing, we would love to hear a bit more about your background and basically what it was that led to this passion of yours in sustainability and climate tech. For a long time, I was a bit of a sustainability snob working in the not-for-profit sector, particularly around ocean health. And then with my board role with OneWave, I was very much about social good in terms of improving mental health awareness and conversations and community around that and then sustainability of our oceans and climate didn't get onto my radar too much because I think it was just a bit too esoteric a bit too hard a bit too big to tackle it was during those bushfires the black summer 
of 2019, how could we ever forget? Because yeah. just before COVID as well. Yeah. But my son, I remember he was three at the time and we were on holidays and he was drawing pictures and he handed me this, as with kids' drawings, you're like, oh, what is that? And it was a koala, like just up in smoke, surrounded by fire. Oh. And I just went, you know what? There's nothing else that really matters as much as solving this climate crisis. Mm-hmm. And I think when we get that, we get everything else right. Climate change didn't cause inequality, but it sure does exacerbate it. So I think we help solve the climate crisis. We help solve a lot of our social issues as well. And I guess I I fell into this climate tech area because, as you would know, as someone who's worked in this social enterprise and sustainability area, it really solely did belong to the not-for-profit space for so long. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you want to do good, you're not going to be making a profit. And interestingly, in this climate tech space, the sector that's taken the most amount of time to be affected by the economic downturn, the one that still has a lot of dry powder ready to invest in, you can actually make profit solve this climate crisis and unapologetically chase growth to get there Mm, absolutely yep totally believe it and i think from that perspective of yours of seeing your son come home and draw a koala that's literally being burnt to death it really just shows a different perspective that our earlier generations are being brought up with oh tom i grew up seeing koalas in my grandparents backyard in an urban town around Newcastle. Like mm. it wasn't like they lived in the bush, they lived in the suburbs and in the gum trees, there'd be koalas. On the playground, we'd see koalas come up to us. That's how I grew up with koalas. Now looking at that and seeing my son draw that picture, it's, oh my gosh, I don't, he'll never get to do that. They won't get to see them in the wild. Yep, totally. And so Unless you, we do something. And that's, I suppose, the next question, right? Because you have got a big focus on climate tech and you do hold this role as ecosystem director at climate salad so in having worked with a bunch of different climate tech startups what are your observations of some of the key barriers that these founders are coming up against when they're looking to grow or to scale globally Firstly, I do want to unpack what climate tech is because it's this emerging sector in the startup community. I think a lot of people go, oh, it's just clean tech rebranded to climate tech. It's really broad. It's more than just solar, wind, renewable energy. Climate tech is tech-based climate solutions that are globally scalable. And those solutions can be in the mitigation of climate, reduction, avoiding, removing carbon equivalent from the atmosphere. But those solutions can also be in the adaptation because the climate has changed and is continuing to change and we have to build resilience in our communities and how do we adapt to that change. A really good example of that is FloodMap, which is a app that can predict what level floods will rise to Mm. on a granular level down to the street. So that's an adaptation solution. The other part of climate tech is I think startups and tech, everyone thinks software straight away, but tech There's a lot of hardware in climate tech and hardware is hard, it's capital intensive and it takes a longer amount of time. There's a lot of deep tech in climate tech. So deep tech is not the nice-haves, it's the must-haves. It's transformational and it changes society on a much larger scale. This is hard. (laughs) Solving the climate crisis is really hard, but you must be solving customer problems first and foremost if you are to grow and to scale these aspiring and incredible entrepreneurs have these amazing solutions, but they must be solving customer problems first. You must be able to demonstrate that there is demand for your solution, not just a need for it. I guess that's the difference between not-for-profit 
where yes, you can change behaviors, but in the startup, in the climate tech space, your solution can't require sophisticated behavior change. It has to be something that customers are demanding now and you have the solution for it. That's a great point. In working with a bunch of these different founders, one of the conversations we typically have is how sometimes there is this mindset about impact being the driver for customer decisions. And because our product helps to alleviate X, people will automatically buy it, right? And it's a common misconception because typically if the product or service being offered is not as good as or better than anything else in the market, then we typically just see the customers go, we don't want it. It's not solving our needs. If you're not going to solve that basic need, then the impact is almost secondary to many of the people who can then sustain the change through the sales. Oh, absolutely. I worked in sustainable seafood for a long time. And yes, of course, when you ask a seafood consumer, does sustainability matter to you? 97% say yes. Mm. But when it comes to purchasing decisions, sustainability ranks far below quality, yes. <laughs> safety, price, yep. taste. And then it's, will my kids actually eat this? And then, oh, it's happening to also be sustainable. That's great. Um, So yes, you have to be solving those customer problems first and foremost. When you're altruistic and you're trying to solve the biggest crisis, biggest challenge of our time, the climate crisis, you can get caught up in that. But particularly if you're talking to investors, they need to know that there's scale for your product, that you have product market fit and there's potential for this to go global. Yeah, yeah, such a great point. And you're the founder of the Sustainability Collective, Charlotte. So tell us a bit more about the projects and work that you're involved in that particular work there. It's definitely on the back burner since I'm full time in the climate tech space, but I found, and you probably have come across this too, that I was just getting so many calls from friends and my network. I, I want to be in sustainability. I'm gonna quit my job. How do I get into sustainability? Yeah. And it was like, no, whoa, stop, be sustainable where you are, transform from within, be that change agent that makes wherever you're working right now more sustainable. So I really wanted to demystify what it meant because I think people were like, oh, we need to do better. We need to be more sustainable or regenerative, but weren't actually sure how to make that first step. Yes. So I really created the sustainability collective just to have resources and tools to help get there. A lot of the time I was working with like construction companies and like an airport just to help them unravel because all of a sudden their boards, their CEO are saying, we need to be sustainable. We need to do this, but how? And they mm. didn't know. Yes. So just laying down a groundwork and often it was, oh my, you're doing this anyway because it makes good business sense, but let's translate that into a sustainability strategy. Let's articulate the benefits of what this means for your shareholders, your stakeholders and your customers. Mm. It's not rocket science and it's not difficult. And I really want to democratize sustainability in that way that any and all businesses can create positive change. Mm. It's a great place to be. And of course, having seen this shift from CSR to shared value into ESG, how are you seeing the broader sort of corporate space transform and have this broader interest in sustainability now? Do you think it's authentic? I do. And I think maybe from the outside, it looks like it's just happening now. It's been happening a long time. This wave of change has started from a ripple. And you've seen that too, Tom, I'm yeah. sure in your time, it's Absolutely. You know, those of us around it were like, 
it hasn't just happened. It's not just since 2019. This has been happening for a long time. Yep. For sustainability a long time, we had to translate into something else. This means trust or social license to operate. We had to dress it up as other things and use a different currency for what was of importance and value. But I'm definitely seeing this huge shift from impact investing that as the literacy levels develop and maturity around what impact is, it's improving. I would say, do not be afraid of greenwashing. Any change and step in the right direction is good. Just make those commitments, step up and keep on moving towards progress. Impact investing, it went from ESG and CSI, like de-risking. It was always like that negative screen. Okay, we won't do anything bad. But now we're seeing this shift to, it's not just good enough to not do bad. You have to be contributing to solutions. Not only do you have to be avoiding harm, but you need to be creating benefit and contributing. And so we see that with the rise of the B Corp. It's not simply enough to just be making money anymore. What benefit are you creating for people, planet and place? It's a great perspective. I think shifting that lens now, and we hear a lot in the sort of regenerative space as well, right? What are you doing to go beyond ultimately net zero too, right? Not just neutralizing your impact, but creating a better good for the world. So when- Absolutely. And I think about that too, like the sustainability collective, I'm like, oh, sustainability at the time was something that you aspire towards, but no yeah. one wants to aspire to status quo. You want to be regenerative. You want to be rewilding. You want to be better mm. benefit. I think about that even just personally, like my family, I would always offset our carbon emissions, our family carbon emissions yep. through high integrity offsets. But now the same amount of money I use for that, which is pretty much the same price as a few coffees. I now make my coffee at home and that same amount of money I now impact invest with Bloom Impact. So to contribute to solution, it's even my own personal journey has shifted from offsetting the bad I do to contributing to solutions. Oh, fantastic. It's great to hear you're on Bloom too. We worked closely with Camille and Bertrand. They're one of our happy alumni from back in the day at the start of their project and they're just creating so much great impact with their app, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. And it just, I use that word again, democratizing impact investing. As someone who's worked in not-for-profit space a long time and then created tools and resources that I wanted to give out for free, I'm not very good at making lots of money. Um, (laughs) The idea of impact investing was like, oh, but that's for someone who wears a suit and doesn't look like me. But that's what I love about Bloom Impact. For as little as $20 a fortnight, I can contribute to solutions, get started for as little as $100. So I love that. Totally. And talking about purpose-led entrepreneurs, and in that case, Camille and Bertrand, who have a great story, what general advice would you give to other impact-led entrepreneurs who are working really hard to basically take that enterprise, that startup, that app, that solution to the next level? Have a global mindset from the very start. Australia is an incredible area to build and to innovate. We know the impacts of climate change more acutely than a lot of other regions, which makes us perfectly positioned to innovate solutions. But those solutions and those problems don't stop at borders. Have that global mindset for your impact and for your vision from the very start. Climate Salad, we're all about taking those companies global. Like we run global trade missions, we run incubators. So think big from the very start. And that advice I brought up before, it cannot require sophisticated behavior change. It has to be something customers need and want right now. You need to be solving customer problems first and foremost before you can take on the global challenge of the climate crisis. 
That's fantastic advice, Charlotte. Thanks for sharing that. Let's talk about some examples then, because having worked with a range of different projects and initiatives yourselves, which of these projects are really creating some great positive social or environmental cultural change? I really love this whole concept. And it's so funny that it's taken us so long to do that. When we think of our First Nations people who have been on this continent for over 70,000 years, the oldest continuous running culture on the planet. And it's now we're finally going, oh, hang on, maybe we should start integrating some of that First Nations knowledge into these climate tech solutions. <laughs> Funny that. I, I love seeing the solutions that are coming out. Like To go forward, we go backwards. So Rainstick is a incredible startup out of Cairns and the founder is a First Nations person who's integrating his Indigenous knowledge into this solution of having observed the after a lightning storm, the plants grow faster and more robust mm. and it's like electrifying the soil for better mushroom yields, for better growth yields. It's incredible. It's combining CSIRO knowledge with First Nations knowledge into this incredible scalable climate tech solution. Another one I just love is GoTerra, founded by Olympia. It was like, there's got to be a way to be more sustainable in how we manage our crops, how we do this. There's waste over here. There's food produced over here. Let's make that circular. Her solution's all about using black soldier fly larvae to digest food waste, mm. which is great, reduces carbon emissions. But then the soldier fly larvae becomes a high-protein stock feed for animals. Yeah. Then there's this wonderful social element of that. She's in regional Australia in the ACT, and she has a mission to mostly employ people who are on the spectrum of disabilities. So she's doing this amazing social good with her company. That's a climate tech solution. There's a few other companies I know that are like that, that the founders only employ people who are neurodiverse. So it's giving this wonderful social positive change to the workforce as well. I didn't want to say who it is in case that's not widely spread knowledge, but it's incredible to see these climate solutions that are also creating social good. Yep. Xylo Systems is another one founded by First Nations woman, Camille and Jada, who is using this integrated First Nations knowledge and cloud and tech software to measure and manage biodiversity. And that's a real area that we haven't valued in the past, but natural capital and nature-based solutions is have, going to have huge potential in the future. It's only just starting to be realised. So, so true. And look, I'm glad you mentioned Camille as well. We, with the Taronga Hatch Accelerator Program, worked exactly. really, really closely <laughs> with her. And she's just, not just the solution itself, but I think a great example of such a driven and passionate founder who is just there to really push forward and make this happen, which is very inspirational. It's also great to see so many incredible female founders within the climate tech community. I mean, yeah. in tech in general, only around 10% of founders are women, but in the climate salad community, we're looking at around 40%. And mm. I see that is because they see a place where they belong, they're impact driven, but also women are more adversely affected by climate change. So again, that makes them perfectly positioned to innovate solutions when they are so intimate with the problem. I can very much relate to that, Charlotte. Interestingly enough, for the first three years or so of our programs, 68% of the participants were women. And that was via competitive entry across a range of different programs. And it wasn't really necessarily a target we were totally conscious of until we really started measuring it a little bit down the track. We're like, wow, there really is a strong group of women founders here so passionate about these social environmental issues. It's been really interesting to see that. 
Yeah, that's definitely been my experience too. Let's solve this. There is a problem. Let's work on a solution. Totally. Charlotte, to round the questions off, talking about books or resources or podcasts, (laughs) what would you recommend to our listeners? Oh my gosh, it's so funny. I think I definitely can't recommend any movies. I think the most watched show in our household is Bluey. I cannot recommend Dr. Rebecca Huntley's book, How to Talk About Climate Change in a Way That Makes a Difference. Mm. Really great read. She's just an incredible social researcher, speaker, and leader in this space. The other book I really love because there is a problem, let's work on that solution, is Speed and Scale by John Doerr. I love it because it's let's solve this and basically whistled it down to objectives and key results that fit onto a napkin. I think it's just a really practical, inspiring and motivating read because you go, we actually don't need more solutions. We have the solutions at hand. What we need is for them to be successful. We need them to scale. We need to mobilise finance towards them. We need to buy from them. I encourage anyone who's listening, if you haven't come up with a world-changing idea to be the most impactful entrepreneur you can, that's okay. We have enough of them. What you can do is lean in and help them out. So if you find it like Camille from Bloom Impact or Camille from Zolo Systems, if you find a climate tech company that inspires you, that you know will do well, you love their solution, and pitch in, help them out, buy from them, invest in them or connect them with someone who's going to help them go further so we can all play our part i love that message in that book because it really is about anyone and everyone can make a difference Mm, that's a fantastic way to end the podcast charlotte thank you so much and to the listeners out there if you'd like to jump onto the article we'll put links through to all these books and resources and initiatives that Charlotte has mentioned over the interview. So Charlotte, thank you so much again for being so generous with your time and your insights. We really appreciate it and we look forward to following your journey down the track as well. Wonderful. It's so good to talk to you, Tom. It is. There's so much overlap and I have no doubt that we'll be collaborating into the future. I really, really do hope so. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.